This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Sunday, April 23rd, 2017. Welcome, everyone, who is in the chat, and all of you many, many people who actually caught the announcement. We, uh, we had to bump this to Sunday because of... The Superversive chat yesterday, which is all about tabletop RPGs. So there's a two-hour chat about tabletop RPGs. And so we uh, just smashed all over our time. So we had to bump it today. We thank everyone for tuning in and listening. And, of course, those of you who subscribe to Geek Gab through the iTunes Music Store, through the Google Play Store, or through SoundCloud, you won't even notice because you'll be getting this later in the day. That said, that out of the way, <clears throat> let me go ahead and say hi to my fellow hosts. Dornall, how was your week? It's been a good week. We're back in action playing D&D every week. Got a little more spare time now, so it's it feels good, man. How about you guys? Uh, are you still planning on doing uh, a Geek Gab Guiding with uh, Rick Stump? Yeah, that's the plan. It's uh, tentatively scheduled for this coming uh, Wednesday or Thursday. We're going to do an evening show. It'll probably be a little longer than usual. Um, and, uh, well, I, I mean, I hope uh, everybody's not sick of talking about tabletop RPGs after the Superversive stream, because that's the plan. Awesome. Sounds exciting. How was your week, Brian? Busy. Uh, it's crunch time. I'm working on the final draft of my book for Castalia House, but I'm making good progress. Um, and then I got to give a shout out to friend of the show, Justin Knight, the Stoic writer, who just finished the penultimate draft of his next novel, which I will be editing this week. So I got a lot on my plate, but I'm excited about it. Awesome. Um, and do you have any guests lined up for your writing geek gab, Gaden? Not yet. Uh, yeah, no, I've really got to get to work on that. Um, my timetable is to be done with the final version of my new novel by the end of the month. And then I'll only have the editing gig to worry about, so I can concentrate on it then. But I, I do have ideas. I don't know who I'm going to ask. I don't have an official list or anything, though. Oh, well, I'm excited to see who you put, uh, who you get to uh, go on on the show. That'd be exciting. Um, by the way, folks, speaking of excitement, next Saturday, Saturday, April 29th, we are going to have special guests on the show. Scheduled right now are Razor Fist, John C. Wright, and Jeffro Johnson, all coming on the show again. It's a re return of one of the. Uh, one of our most popular shows from the last four or five months. So look forward to that next Saturday and it will be on Saturday. So uh, that sounds, I'm excited for that as well. That's right, super exciting. Now I last week went to the movies and I went and saw fate of the furious we didn't announce this. This wasn't any official review we were going to do, but I just had a question. Did either of you go and see Fate of the Furious? I did not. Afraid not. I'll tell you what. The only Furious movie I ever saw was the seventh one, the, the previous one. And, and that made me glad that I had missed all the previous ones. 
You're not a fan, then, is what you're saying. I, 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 let's say I'm, I'm a big fan of The Rock and Vin Diesel, but that movie could not make me love them more. Let's see. In this movie, they had The Rock again, Vin Diesel again. They had Kurt Russell again. They had Jason Statham again. And, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> it was only, I, I, for a second there, I was like, wow, is is this an Expendables? <laughs> it's almost that level of... Um, That's a great cast, actually. Did, did uh, you spoil me, did, did Kurt Russell do another blatant product placement commercial just smack dab in the middle of the movie? Not that I noticed. You remember that from the seventh one, right? No, I do not. They they literally have a scene where uh, when Vin Diesel first meets Kurt Russell, and they talk about uh, beers, drinking beers and stuff, and uh, and Vin Diesel says, you know, I like this type of beer, and Kurt Russell says, you know, what I really like is a nice cold Corona, and <laughs> and not only does he say that, but he reaches from behind like. Uh, dumb boxes or whatever that are stacked there and he pulls out the the metal bucket with the two coronas and the ice that you see in every single corona commercial and he sets it on the boxes right there on camera it is hilarious i missed that um it could have been a fever dream of mine sorry it also has charlize theron in it and the usual backup cast, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibbons, Ludacris, uh, and so on and so forth. As well as the really, really hot uh, black chick from, who was in the last one, who was in number seven, uh, from Game of Thrones. Um, her name's Natalie Emmanuel. Uh, she plays a hacker, Ramsey. Um, and she was quite, quite, quite ornamental in the movie. I, I very much appreciated her appearing in this film. <laughs> so here's the thing, folks. If you've ever seen one of the good Fast and the Furious movies, so that means not two and not three, and then you know what to expect. You know you're going to get Vin Diesel talking about family. You know you're going to get hot chicks in tight outfits standing around a street race. You know you're going to get street racing. And in the later movies, you know you're going to get uh, a spy-slash-thriller movie. So if that's what you're expecting when you go into The Fate of the Furious, then you're going to get exactly what you expected. It uh, Supposedly, it's the last movie. But it kind of ends on a cliffhanger, which would leave it open to doing a ninth if, if things come together for the studio. Of course, the star of the previous Fast and the Furious, who plays the character Brian, Paul Walker, he is dead. He died during the production of the last movie. So his character is kind of written out of continuity. You won't see him in this movie, obviously. Because they did not do, and uh, they did not pull uh, what the Force Awakens did and had an entirely computer-generated version of the character. And I'm I'm very very grateful that they did not do that because that would have just been it would have looked awful. It would have been awful, and I, I would have hated the movie for it. Um, so 
Brian and Mia, the other two characters who have been in all the other movies, do not appear in this one for good reason. It is... I Let me... Let me give you honest here. I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed watching the movie. I wouldn't necessarily watch it again, but I enjoyed watching the movie. I didn't. I didn't hate it. Um, it's got absolutely ludicrous action scenes, of course, but you have to get that from the Fast and the Furious. You know you're going to get that from the Fast and the Furious. They had a really, really great scene where the hackers, the bad guy hackers, hacked a bunch of cars. And we're controlling them driving, so they were driving around the streets of, of Manhattan, smashing people up and uh, smashing other cars up and, and doing other stuff. It was fun. It was interesting. We haven't seen a scene like it. So if you're a fan of the Fast and the Furious, if you like the later Fast and the Furious movies, 5, 6, 7, to a lesser extent 4, then you're going to enjoy this movie. Because it's really, really well done. It's a well done Fast and the Furious movie. Kurt Russell is there in a supporting role, and of course, he's doing the the Kurt Russell thing, and he he elevates every single film he's in. Everything that Kurt Russell does, he makes better. It isn't necessarily a good film, but Kurt Russell in every film is always, always great. He's the Rock is fun and amusing. Um, Vin Diesel does a really good job. I just enjoyed it. Yeah, Kurt Russell is one of the one of that last generation of guys like Harrison Ford, who are true movie stars. Who just being in a movie is is a draw, is a reason to see it. So I I wish I had more, you know, like more analysis of the movie. But it's got ludicrous technology. It's got a you know plot that hit fit, that holds together fairly well. It's not something that you're going to spend two hours dissecting because if you look at it, you know, too close, you're going to say, oh, well, this is a plot hole. Oh, that was a plot hole or whatever. That's fine. There are plot holes. There are probably plot holes in the movie, but the action is fun. The actors are doing a good job with the material they've got. Kurt Russell is, of course, just brilliant. Um, and I don't know. I got exactly what I expected out of it. They didn't cheat me at all. It wasn't a bad Fast and the Furious movie. Well, I have to ask, though, did you watch the series in the correct order? Um, I have no idea what order I watched the series in, but I've seen all the films. Okay, because there is a preferred order. You're supposed to watch the movies, and you are not supposed to watch them in the order they were released for maximum enjoyment. So I, I do have it up on my screen here, if you would like me to share. Oh, please. Are, you sure, are you sure it's not the... Uh, I prefer the Peeps version, you know, that meme. The, the correct order to watch them is to not watch them. <laughs> well, barring that, you know, if uh, you absolutely have nothing else to do, here's the order you should watch the Fast and the Furious series in. So, the, the first two, you should watch from the order they release. So you start with the Fast and the Furious from 2001. Proceed to Too Fast, Too Furious... Spelled with the, the numerals, remember, not, not TWO. So Too Fast, Too Furious, 2003. Then you jump ahead to the fourth movie, Fast and Furious from 2009. Then proceed to Fast Five from 2011. Then Fast and Furious 6 from 2013. Then go back to the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift from 2006. And then finally Furious 7 from 2015, and now the most recent movie. 
There are also two official Fast and Furious shorts, which take place between the second and fourth movies. And then there's another movie, Better Luck Tomorrow, which is considered a canonical prequel for the character Han. So there you go. I had never even heard of Better Luck Tomorrow. Have you seen it? I have not. Yeah, I just found out about it now. Oh, I want to pull that up and yeah, check that out at some point. I'm I'm actually I'm kind of blown away that that people have put together such a a detailed analysis of this universe of cheesy car action movies. No, Dude, it's, it's not actually funny. all that detailed. All they, all they did was took number three and stuck it when the internal statements in the movie kind of sort of make it make sense in the timeline. You could just as easily get rid of number three, not watch it at all, and it wouldn't make any difference to the rest of the series. Good to know. Number three was awful. It was terrible. Uh, in fact, if you wanted to, you could go see the Cinema Sins takedown of number three, and uh, everything you'd need to know from watching the movie is in that video. <laughs> so... It's awful. It is really, really... Well, it's not actually super terrible. It's really, really mediocre. Poor characterization, poor character motivations, a lot of just half-assed stuff they threw in there. I, I have redefined awful now uh, this last week because I watched three and a half of the Sharknado films in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I sat through them. I watched them. Um, I bet you ran out of popcorn at your house. They're they're not even the worst movies I've ever seen. That that's the problem. It's not that they're they're bad. They are bad. They're awful. They're more awful than you think they are, and you probably think they're pretty awful. But they're not the worst movies I've ever seen. I have seen some really really bad movies that are worse than Sharknado. Um. The biggest disappointment in the series so far is that number four, and you just have to understand this statement in context, number four is a cheap sequel they threw together to cash in on the Sharknado brand. They took the high bar they had set, however high that bar was for special effects, they took that high bar and they lowered it to the ground. They have worse special effects in, in number four. They have a so far a worse script, worse concept. It's just absolutely a letdown. If you've seen the other three Sharknado films, number four does exactly the opposite of what you should do, which is make it a little bit better than the others. This one makes it a whole lot worse. I haven't finished four yet. I intend to finish it this afternoon, but that's the problem with four is it lets the team down. Wow. It's awful. It's terrible. And number three, you've got to understand, number three starred Knight Rider. Okay? Oh. Number three. <laughs> Wait, so you're going to The actual character, the actual character no, 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 no. from Knight Rider? No, the actor. Number three. Oh, goodness. That would have been so much better. Starred David Hasselhoff as a colonel in the Air Force who's also 
uh, was going to be an astronaut but never got into space. Number three's ending is the most ridiculous thing. It, it went full Kung Fury about halfway into the movie. Full Kung Fury, only the awesomeness was dialed back about 89.5%, okay? Full Kung Fury, it is exactly that ridiculous, only not as awesome as Kung Fury was, and I didn't like Kung Fury. So you're going to say, hey, uh, you know, do you like the Sharknado movies? No, I did not like the Sharknado movies. I didn't enjoy the Sharknado movies. I watched them because I was kind of curious, and I figured it'd be something we can talk about on the show. They're awful. They're terrible movies. There is, I, I would have to think a long and hard time to come up with any reason why I would recommend them. If you had a choice between watching Sharknado and watching a bad zombie movie, I would recommend a bad zombie movie, but then again, I like zombie movies. Go watch Resort or Jerusalem um, or some of the other bad zombie movies that are out there above any of the Sharknados because they're just, they're terrible. They're terribly awful. They're what they're what um, Ed Wood would have made if he was in the modern era, had a big budget, and was getting kind of bitter about making films and just said, screw it, I'll throw up anything on the screen. I see that Steve Gutenberg was offered the lead role in the first Sharknado, and that character's name is Finn. Yes, they use the same character. His name is Finn. Um, only it's Ian Zeering uh, of Beverly Hills 90210 fame. Um, yeah, you, nobody remembers who that is. And uh, it's all of them are, are just chock full of random celebrity cameos. Sharknado 3, by the way, the president of the United States in Sharknado 3 is Mark Cuban. The vice president is Ann Coulter. The blonde political <laughs> commentator. And the hilarious thing about Sharknado 3 is that it has in it both Jared Fogle from Subway and Anthony Weiner. Whoa. Blowing my mind. That got dark real quick. Yeah. Uh, it also has Penn and Teller in it. It also has uh, just... It has Bo Derek in it, um, Chris Jericho, Mark McGrath. I mean, the list. Uh, Lou Ferrigno, Lorenzo Lamas. You know the list. Bill Engvall, the comedian, shows up in it. Jackie Collins is in it. Um, I, I even saw Maria Menounos is in it. I even saw uh, uh, one of the who was it? They had a TV show about Hugh Hefner's girlfriends. And there are three of them, and they were all blonde. One of those girls is in it. Um, it just, Jerry Springer was in it. It just, uh, Richard Klein, the comedian, played the mayor of New York. Robert Klein, excuse me, the comedian, played the mayor of New York in the second one, and he shows up again in the third one for a, uh, for a cameo. Just, it's insane. See, all of these Rupert. random celebrities get bit parts yeah. for... I have no idea why, just to do it, I guess. I mean, if you're going full ridiculousness, you might as well go all the way. Indeed. Um, it sounds like they were just handing out money to all sorts of, yeah, the, the DF-list celebrities and, and has-beens and stuff. Like, hey, you want to do, do a TV movie about sharks in a tornado? Yeah, all right, sure. 
Um, Congressman Michelle Bachman is in Sharknado 3. Um, I just... George R. R. Martin shows up in Sharknado 3. <laughs> Instead uh, of writing. <sighs> Will... Uh, Will, what's his name? Will Wheaton, shut up Wesley, shows up in Sharknado 2. Kathy Lee Gifford. They had the entire crew of the Today Show in Sharknado 2. Like everybody, Matt Lauer, Al Roker, and everybody else showed up in Sharknado 2. It's just insane. The special effects are terrible. The scripts are terrible. The ideas are terrible. Um, even as a bad movie, I couldn't recommend it. But... If you're, if you have a high tolerance for crap, if you have a high tolerance for cheese, and Sharknado has enough cheese in it to open up a second state of Wisconsin, okay? If you have a high tolerance for cheese, then go ahead and check out the first one, and that's what you'll be getting for the second and third. Uh, and but be aware, the quality of the fourth drops right off the cliff. Um. I don't know. Do you have any questions about it? I I can't even give a give a real full review. Uh, that's the best I can do. Is <laughs> just sit back and marvel at the absolute insanity. That's really what I'm doing. I'm not even reviewing. I'm just relating to you the the shattered fragments of my brain having been pummeled by the insanity of all four or three and a half Sharknado movies. I've actually seen the first Sharknado. It's it feels weird to be sort of so many years behind what was a a minor cultural phenomenon. But it's I, I think you're right. You know what it is, uh, because the concept, of course, is so cheesy, and the execution is so kind of mediocre that it doesn't rise to the level of so bad it's good. You're just you're sort of watching like you know this is garbage, and you're just going to watch it. Here's the thing. I will say this. I have one good thing to say about the first Sharknado movie. And this is something they messed up in the second Sharknado movie. In the first Sharknado movie, they did not screw around. They didn't give you tons of backstory. They didn't give you tons of character introductions. The first 30 seconds of the movie were ocean, tornado, sharks. The sharks go up in the air. 30 seconds. Bam. Right out of the gate. You're into the story. You know what the basic, uh, even if you didn't know it before you started watching the show, you know what it's about. It's about sharks in this tornado. And then you can guess based on Jaws and all the other disaster movies you've seen where it goes after that. But that is a good thing. That is something that many, many writers struggle with. Many, many writers have to do all this world building and exposition and stuff. Instead of, uh, John Mollison did a good job with this in Sudden Rescue. Um, and other writers have done a good job with it. Get right into the action, almost in media res. Just bam. They didn't make you wait. They're not pussyfooting around. They're not pretending this is anything other than it was. It's about sharks in a water spout attacking people and eating people. I was, I was impressed. The the people who wrote the script, I was impressed. And that's going to sound odd. After me spending like 10, 15 minutes slagging on these movies, I was impressed that the people who were writing the script weren't pretentious. They didn't feel the need to make the movie more than it actually was. They didn't feel the need to pretend that this was a movie that had any virtues other than 
showing the audience sharks attacking people. They didn't play around. Bam. 30 seconds, story started, and it was great. The second one messed it up. You start on a plane, you have a bunch of exposition and talking, and then the start shark starts showing up three or four minutes into the movie. I thought that was way too long. We just didn't need any of the backstory. Um, we we could have gotten the backstory later. That's a huge mistake. I mean, yeah, the first Sharknado starts, it's on a beach. The, the main character is working at a restaurant and a bar at the beach. And they, while the sharks are attacking, they spend that time to establish, here's some other characters, like he's got an ex-wife or something. And so when they change locations later in the movie, you're not uh, disoriented. You sort of expect these things to happen. And then, but, but that's it. They spend absolutely bare minimum time on that stuff. And it's yep. while the sharks are attacking. You know, he's got a, he's got a woman who works at the bar with him, a hot woman in a bikini who works at the bar with him, who's kind of into him. She likes him a lot, but he doesn't really connect with her. That's it. That I mean, and that kind of plays out during the rest of the movie. But please understand, I'm not suggesting there is deep, meaningful drama or great acting here. By saying there was actually a subplot that went through the movie, here's the thing. And it's surprising in a movie that was this bad is that the people who wrote it weren't total idiots. They actually knew to carry a subplot through the movie. It has consequences later. When he when he goes, to, okay, folks, I'm sorry. I'm going to spoil something. But if you've seen any movie in the last 20 years or 40 years, you know it's coming. He's a bartender. He owns his own bar. There are sharks falling on the city. And he has an ex-wife and a daughter who live in the same city. If you can't put those two facts together and see what's coming, I pity you because you have no grasp of story. If you can't think to yourself, oh, I bet he's going to have to go rescue his ex-wife at some point, that, then I'm sorry. You're done. Pack it up. Stop watching movies because you don't understand the media. Surprisingly enough, shockingly enough, stunningly enough, at some point, he has to leave his bar and go to find his ex-wife and his daughter. So that's a spoiler. I'm sorry. I spoiled part of Sharknado for you. You're just going to have to accept it. I mean, Casablanca spoiled Sharknado, you know, like 60 years ago, <laughs> so you're fine. But they actually carry through the subplot. They don't drop it. When the bartender's assistant, the hot chick in a bikini, goes with him to meet his ex-wife to help him save her, there's actual tension there. They kind of snipe at his, each other, and his ex-wife gets a little jealous. The people who wrote the script for the first movie were not total idiots. They, And that's why I have to say Sharknado isn't the worst movie I've ever seen, is because there is some actual competence screenwriting, whereas in other movies you get whole subplots, big characters who are introduced, they get into conflict with the main character, and then they're either forgotten, they just drop out of the movie, or when they show up later in the movie, all of that conflict is forgotten. The people in Sharknado displayed competence that a lot of screenwriters and a lot of authors don't reach to the level of. 
So you've got to understand, it's a very, very qualified recommendation, but the people who wrote the movie knew at least enough about plot structure to maintain the subplots they had established earlier on in the movie. Yeah, that, that, uh, that writing sin is called Where's the Mouse, by the way. It's when some element you introduced earlier is just totally forgotten about. Just falls off the face of the earth. Incidentally, I, I'm now curious. I would like to see John Boyega playing Finn from Force Awakens in a Sharknado <laughs> movie. Like uh, Shark, Sharknado Jakku edition. You know what? I think that uh, The Force Awakens could probably have been improved by the addition of a Sharknado. Yeah, it could have sucked up a bunch of those water monsters from Naboo and transported a, them across space. Or on a more serious note, uh, it probably could have benefited by a couple of the writers from the first Sharknado. Ooh. Well, they're writing at pulp speed, man. So I don't doubt it. Um, but anyways, that, that's Sharknado. Um, that's a great question. Let's tie this into our recent episodes. Is Sharknado pulp? I haven't seen it, so that's on you guys. Sharknado is knowingly satirical and bad. It's kind of implicitly making fun of itself and also of the genre it's in. It's far too um, winking, tongue-in-cheek, and knowing to have been pulp because the primary defining characteristic of pulps is that they were absolutely serious about their story. Even if they were in a ludicrous situation, the pulp writers, the good pulp writers, all, all the pulp writers were, were sincere about the material they were making. And the good pulp writers took steps to bring people into this world, I, into this foreign world, this, the exotic world, um, through a lot of different means, through dreams, through, uh, you know, saying, okay, well, this novel occurred, uh, and in my dream state, I went to this other world. This other world is real. It's just in order to get there, people were dreaming. They took people from the real world. So you started grounded and then put them in these strange situations. But it was all in the service of making these exotic situations and places as real as possible for the audience. And I think the Sharknado is far too knowing, far too self-aware, far too self-conscious to qualify as pulp. Yeah, postmodern irony hadn't really caught on yet. Irony, yes. Postmodern irony. Yeah. That's exactly it. So... Um, wow, I, I didn't expect we'd use up the whole half hour on those two. He's probably <laughs> No one expects Sharknado. Oh. Um, it's time to go. Unless, uh, unless there's something else you guys really, really want to talk about, it's time to sign off, man. Yeah, I should get back to work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm good. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us talk about Sharknado. Um... Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. By the way, next week, next Saturday, the 29th, the big, big show with uh, John C. Wright, the vastly Hugo-nominated author, multiple Hugo-nominated author, John C. Wright, um, and I believe Dragon Award-winning John C. Wright. We have also Jeff Rowe Johnson, the author of Appendix and a Literary History of Dungeons and Dragons, and we have YouTuber Razorfist, all three individuals on the show next week. Saturday, the 29th, 3 p.m. Eastern is our current 
um, scheduled starting time. So please tune in for that. And uh, if you <laughs> if you uh, if you really really want to get a hold of the show, if this is your first time listening, we are at YouTube.com/slash/GeekGab, or just do a search search for GeekGab on SoundCloud in the Google Play Store or in iTunes. And you can subscribe to our podcast and get it downloaded to whatever device you want. We do appreciate everyone in the chat who made it. With five minutes of warning, uh, a bunch of people showed up in the chat. And we uh, really appreciate everyone who came and uh, asked any questions. Um, we are signing off for today. We're through. We're out of time. That's it. We're done. We talked about Sharknado for 15 minutes. We cannot do it anymore. If you like the fate of the Fast and the Furious movies, go see Fate of the Furious. It's a great ending to the series. If you've not seen any Sharknado and you're in the mood for a really, really bad, ironic, self-mocking disaster movie, watch the first one. If you like the first one, you can probably stand two and three. Skip number four. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. We are signing off for today, but don't fret. We will be back.